This is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Faith Revisited podcast. I am Ben, uh, and I'm so excited to be here with, uh, it's really a treat because this is both my friend and a a wonderful professional uh, in the counseling field here in Savannah, Georgia, Whitney Owens. And so Whitney, welcome. We're so glad that you're here for this time to kind of talk about mental and emotional health right now. Well, thank you, Ben. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we kind of jump into some specifics. Yep. So I'm Whitney Owens here in Savannah. I have a group practice called Water's Edge Counseling. There are 14 therapists here at the practice. We do incorporate some Christian counseling, but overall just counseling in general. We do Christian counseling upon request. I'm also married to a minister, James P. Owens, who is in the Methodist Church and through that process right now. And we have two little girls. Great, great, great. And uh, you have a wonderful counseling practice. Uh, My family has benefited from it. Uh, Church members of mine have benefited from it. So I, you know, I couldn't speak more highly about it. Um, I am curious because it is such a strange season in everybody's life. But specifically, I want to begin with um, clergy mental and emotional health. I took a sabbatical last year during the month of July. In fact, your husband was one of my guest preachers who came and filled in for me one Sunday. And the truth is, I Whitney, I don't think I did it and sort of planned ahead because I thought it'd be a nice little treat after I finished my doctorate to say, hey, I've really, you know, I've been here six years. I'd like to take a sabbatical. But the truth is, I'm not really sure how much I needed it until after the fact. And I realized looking back, I was really starting to experience burnout. Um, you know, a number of things that, that it wasn't just a treat to take a month away. It was really a necessary time away that, that I really wanted to both, you know, rest, but recalibrate how I lived moving forward. Can you talk about sort of where you sensed, you know, especially clergy and specifically trying to lead churches, where are they with mental and emotional health? What are some things that you're sensing that are good practices, not so good practices? I mean, how can we grow in this field? Because I think there's lots of research. Barna's one uh, research organization. Many others are saying burnout is huge right now in the ministry field. So can you talk to us more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much to say here. And I appreciate you sharing your story. So it's a great example. Yeah, the research that I'm also hearing is, is burnout and that more pastors are leaving the ministry really than ever before. And so that definitely is alarming. Um, I think that we can say what we need to say and not do what we need to do. 
I think pastors are always talking about the importance of your spiritual life, caring for yourself. You know, some even go so far as from the pulpit to talk about self-care and mental health, because we find that these are related, right? We are whole people, whole in Christ. But I don't see a lot of pastors actually implementing the things mental health-wise that they're talking about. Huge taboo to go to therapy, right? We see this for everyone. It is even harder for people in the helping profession and people who are up in front of a congregation speaking, but then what if someone sees them walking into a therapist's office? Mm. Like, what does that say about me? What does it say about the way I lead my people? People might not come to my church anymore. If they see me go to therapy, that's money. That's my job. Like there's all this stuff coming together or this idea that I don't need it. You know, um, and then we could go to a whole arm of the idea that some Christians just think you don't need to go to counseling and that the Bible answers all your problems. So I'm sure there's some pastors in that vein, which is super unfortunate. But I think the big part of a big part of it is that taboo of mental health for a pastor specifically. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. I mean, it's like we wear the mask of being a pastor and to be vulnerable you know, to walk into a therapist's office is to be vulnerable to say helpers need help sometimes. Um, can you talk a little more deeply? Because what I also heard in that is we, we, we what do you say? We, we say, we say what we need to say, but then we do something different. Sometimes. Yes. Why, 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 why do we have a hard time helping the, you know, having the words that we speak and the lives that we live why do we have a hard time making those lineups sometimes, do you think? Mm. Gosh, I mean, that could be so many different things for different people, right? I think that pastors would tell their congregation to go to counseling, right? They would tell them to take care of themselves. They would probably even say that counseling is a way that we find God. If you go to the right therapist, they can offer that perspective. But I think admitting weakness, like you said, is a lot harder to get yourself to go to therapy. In fact, I I would say most pastors I've spoken to haven't gone to therapy, mm. right? The majority of them. I don't know if you feel that that's been the case. Um, I also think maybe it's hard for a pastor to find a therapist that actually challenges them, mm. right? Because pastors have pretty good insight. I mean, they've done a lot of work. They've gone to seminary. Um, they understand people. That's part of how they became a pastor. But it's hard to, and I feel this for myself, because there's a little bit of therapists are similar in the sense of we also need to be going to therapy on a regular basis. Like we're taking on the cares of so many people, just like a pastor does. But for us to find someone who can challenge us is really challenging. So what 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 is the challenge that pastors need? Maybe that we don't always welcome, but but what is the challenge? What's some of the nature of the challenge that that you think we need? I definitely think they need to be challenged to go to therapy. Yeah. Rethinking what therapy is. Instead of thinking therapy is, I have a problem. Think of it as I'm caring for myself. Mm. So people that go to the gym, they don't just go to the gym because they have a blood pressure problem or they're fat or diabetic or whatever, like some crisis in their health, which some people do. You go to the gym because it's good for you. Longevity in your life. You're caring for your body. That is what counseling needs to be seen as. Like it's a mental caring for yourself. And I think that every pastor should be in therapy. 
I also think every therapist should be in therapy mm. it's only going to make you a better pastor for going. And I think that's a different way to think about it. Your congregation will be healthier. Your relationships will be healthier because you go to therapy. Mm. Yeah, I've been in therapy for years. And I can tell you, too, for anyone wondering about it, you know, just like with the gym thing, like you're like, oh, God, it's it's the idea of the gym. But for many of us, maybe even most of us, once we actually go, I think most of us would say there's there's a payoff. There's something we feel better having gone to the gym. I can tell you the same is true for therapy. There's a lot to get there. There's a lot to go. You, whatever you have to get over to do it. But there is a payoff that it's like a release or, or, or a lightness. You feel less burdened, maybe. I, I don't know. I always come away from therapy feeling less scrambled <laughs> good good you know like a therapist can kind of keep like like one of those old school radios you know where you have to like turn the dial you know to get the right frequency and you know there's there's always a little crackling and scrambling but then you magically mm. find it I feel like a therapist can kind of turn the dial a little bit and kind of straighten out some of the some of the static in my head that's right so we could also say that a therapist is helping you find God yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there's a whole avenue we could probably go down that, you know, pastors, we don't care for our interior lives nearly enough. Mm-hmm. We care about everyone else's interior lives, mm-hmm. but not our own. And yeah. therapy is a big part of caring for your interior life. Mental and emotional health go right alongside spiritual health. That's right. I think a couple of the other challenges that pastors face, a little bit more logistic, it's time because pastors are already working way more than they should. So that's also leading to burnout. And then they feel like they don't have time to go take care of themselves in the middle of the day, going to see a therapist. That could take an hour and a half. Um, And then the financial piece, pastors don't make tons of money. Therapy is is expensive and it's a luxury especially a lot of cash pay practices. And so that can be challenging for pastors. I would love to see more churches come around their staff, you know, and provide the funding for you because, I mean, the funding for the church is for the church and the people that serve the church are the church. Like if we can really invest in our staff better then they can invest back in the community. Yeah. And, and, you know, for pastors who are wondering, like, what are options financially, um, you know, I, I happen to, to have elected for a more high deductible, lower premium insurance plan. And so um, my therapy, I, I have a much higher deductible to meet before my therapy hits a copay. So I go every month, um, sometimes twice a month, but, but usually 12 to 15 times a year. So when you do the math, I'm not going to hit a, a deductible you know, in that time frame um, to get it down to a copay. So what you can do, pastors, is you simply many insurance options have an HSA option, a health savings account. And therapy runs 100 to 150 a session. Is that about accurate, Whitney? That sounds accurate, yeah. So do the math, 100 to 150 a month if you go once a month, times 12, do that out, and elect to have that much money withheld from your paycheck. It's pre-tax. 
So it actually lowers your tax burden, have it moved into an HSA account. You get this fancy little visa card. That's like a health savings card. And I just go swipe that. So yeah, I, my sessions are about a hundred. I think mine are like 105 um, every month and, and they just use that card. So for pastors who are going, you know, how do you do it? I mean, that's a simple way that if you can't have it fully funded by insurance and if your church is not able to, to fund it on top of your salary, just create a health savings, add an extra hundred bucks a month, swipe that card and you can go to therapy. In other words, there's really no reason to say if you've got those available options, we need to make it harder to say I, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious, Whitney, kind of shifting gears a little bit. I mean, because clergy mental health is a big deal, especially coming out of COVID. We, you and I both are, are in the United Methodist Church which is going through a very difficult season right now of the friendly way I'll put it is realignment. I mean, you can call it splitting, schism, multiplication. There's all kinds of words to describe what we're doing, but we're going from one really big denomination into different denominations and, and churches are leaving the denomination right now. Clergy are leaving and some churches are staying, some clergy are leaving, and, you know, and so sometimes a church and a pastor will leave together or stay together, and sometimes the two won't match, and so a pastor may go one way and a church may go a different way. What would you say to anyone listening, clergy or layperson alike, what are some of the difficulties of this particular season in our denomination being lived out in the local church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the thing that I'm thinking about is complex trauma. Mm. Now, when I use that word trauma, people typically think, oh, you know, the death of someone tragically or a car accident or something. And yes, those things are definitely trauma, you know, abuse situations. But trauma, I say, is in the eye of the beholder. It's all in how you experience it. And we have big T traumas and little T traumas, which sound exactly what it sounds like, you know, big traumas and little traumas. So complex trauma is when we pile trauma on top of trauma. So then it becomes even more difficult. So if you think about a, a pastor, you know, whatever way they go in the Methodist church, they have the trauma of kind of dealing with their own congregation and all the stuff going up, coming up for their people that they're coming to them about all the time. And they're answering questions and dealing with that. Then they have their own kind of experience of like, where am I on this issue? You know, and what does the Bible say? And I have to challenge myself and like wrestle with this. And that can feel really upsetting, you know, for a time, depending on where you kind of get at the end of all of it. Um, and then you have like the loss of relationships. I mean, especially pastors who've been in the, in the denomination a long time, they've lost friends over it because people have different opinions. They lose their church over it. Like I was hearing about a pastor who has now all the churches he served have left. And that's so disheartening when maybe you feel like the Lord is saying, this is the direction we want to go in. This is what I think the Bible says. And then other people are saying a different thing. So it's, it's multiple griefs on top of each other. I think what's super important is to be in this moment and to not shut emotions down because we usually when we go through a traumatic experience, we shut an emotion down and say, I can't deal with that right now because I have to take care of these things. 
And I do think there's sometimes a time and season for that, but this season's way too long to be that, <laughs> you know, like this is going to be going on for a couple of years. You've got to slow down, focus on the grief as difficult as it can be. Focus on sorting through your own emotions, your own thoughts that can feel confusing, which is another good reason to go to therapy, you know, and, and really say to pastors, I really want to say, find your people, find two or three people that understand where you're coming from, that you can really talk to about this stuff in a place that's safe, because there's a lot of conversations that don't feel very safe. I even talked to a friend the other day, like we grew up Methodist together and she had a very different opinion and I just wanted to cry. Like I was so hurt by the way she spoke about church and about people. And it was just not who I thought she had always been, you know? And so I'm dealing with my own grief and it's not like I lost her as a friend, but just the fact that we've had this difference and I'm not even a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two things come, come to mind in, in hearing you. One is adding into that complex trauma is also for many the trauma of coming to terms with unrealized expectations. I, we all come into appointments and churches receive pastors and we all have certain expectations of how we think this season of ministry is going to go. And for a lot of folks, it is not matching up either. This issue is dividing you when, when you think, you know, we could have been fine had it not been for this issue, the pandemic has helped some pastors never really feel like they got off the ground in their appointment because, you know, it, they just went there or, or quickly thereafter, you know, it, things took hold. So that, that can be traumatic. The other thing that comes to mind, you described it just now. I almost, it's like this issue, and we're talking about the, the inclusion of gay and lesbian persons into the life of the church through, through marriage and ordination. And it's like for a lot of churches, we sort of figured we didn't all agree on it, but we, as long as we didn't talk about it, we were fine. You know, it's like going to the family dinner and it's like, we know uncle so-and-so has opinions that we really don't want him to talk about them and we love him and he's fine as long as we don't go there. But this issue and this discernment process in churches and this whole thing is making that stuff now get talked about. And we're like, holy crap, I've been going to this church for how long? And I didn't know that so-and-so disagreed with me so much. Um, and you're right. It, it, it is creating, unfortunately, in some cases, irreconcilable differences. And that's the whole opposite of what church is supposed to be. Mm. Like the Bible makes it pretty clear. It's about unity. Right. Jesus prayed for unity. And now I'm seeing so much division. You got to just go through that grief process and then do what you can to bring unity wherever that is. Yeah, I heard somebody say once that that is the one unanswered prayer Jesus ever uttered. Mm. He, he wanted unity and the church is yet to, to live into the, his prayer. And that's mm. the one thing that we can point to that, that Jesus specifically prayed for and has gone unanswered because the church has just never been. And we've been splitting and disagreeing for ever since our inception. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that there, there's there's difficulty um, in all of that. How how would you tell somebody? Let's do it two ways. Pastor in one discussion. We'll get to them next. But let's talk to just the average layperson who's going. Their church is going through this. Pro either they've just had a vote, or they're going through the process to have a vote, and and their church is split. 
what would you say as a professional to that layperson about how they can both care for themselves, love their church, try to love their neighbors, even when they disagree? Like, how, what would you tell a layperson in, in right now? Mm-hmm. I think the first part is doing your own work. So when you have a strong emotions coming up, anger, resentment, um, anxiety, before you're opening your mouth, say something, take a moment, reflect, journal, go on a walk, find trusted people, talk to your therapist. What is being triggered in me? And is that about me or about what's happening? And, And thinking, how do I respond in love? rather than hate or disagreement. I mean, I think always asking ourselves, is the thing I'm saying going to cause more discord or is it actually going to create more relationship would be a great thing to ask ourselves. Um, oh, I was thinking, didn't John Wesley always talk about do do all the good you can, all the ways you can, like do no harm? Like yeah. that's another thing to ask. Are we doing harm by what we're saying and what we're doing or are we actually bringing kindness and goodness into the world? So that would be the first part. Um, and then encouraging people to step away when they need to step away. Like just, you know, you had your sabbatical and it did wonders for you. And so if people need to have a moment away from church, not long-term necessarily, but if you need to skip because you need to really think about where you're standing right now, instead of going and continuing to gossip or whatever it is that we do out of our sinful nature, like let's take a break. Let's rest. Let's think about what the Bible says. Let's do your own journaling and processing so that you can come back more whole and so that you're not doing things more out of that sinful place. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that idea of do your own work. Digging into your own discipleship um, is crucial. You know, I mean, it's crucial in any other time, but I think in chaotic times, you know, either you can be, you know, kind of a I don't know the analogy I'm thinking about like a ship at sea that, you know, either you're going to get blown by the wind and all that, or you're going to take some control over your navigation there. And, and people are feeling jerked around and blown and to and fro and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's good. What would you tell clergy right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this is not a mental health thing, but this would be my advice. This is not your church. Mm. You know, I think a lot of clergy, take it on as their church. I mean, right within the Methodist church, you're serving the church, but it's their church that you serve. And so it's not for you to say, um, this is what you're going to vote and try to really sway it because you're not going to be there forever. You know, you're going to continue to serve in other churches along the way. At least that's how the Methodists do it. So letting people make their own decision, also educating them, on what we see in the Bible, you know, and I've seen that a lot of churches bring in pastors from different perspectives, Mm -hmm. which I think is, is beneficial for people to kind of hear it all, um, and getting rid of gossip, because there's been a lot of gossip and slander. If it's something very obvious, letting people know this is not real, this is not true. Um, and speaking that, so that, that would be like the logistical parts, I would say. Um, but yeah, the importance of pastors having a community where they can be honest and open about the struggles they're having, I think is vital. Or they're going to end up saying things and doing things that they don't want to yeah. because they've got so much built up within them, so much energy, so much sadness that you're going to end up sharing that when you maybe didn't want to, maybe not with the safest people. 
Yeah. And, and, and I think in, in any season of life for a pastor to do their own work too, but especially now, we cannot be effective leaders if we're not digging into our own discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a hard lesson that I've, I've had to learn in ministry. I'm not defined by what I do for others. I'm defined by who I am and who God calls me to be. And then out of that is what I do for others. So yeah, for pastors to, to, to do all of that and to really dig into their own selves. I also like what you said for all of us, asking that hard question when conflict comes up, when negative feelings come up, resentment, all that, what is this doing to me? You know, I, I shared in a previous episode and we'll talk more in future episodes. I'm a person in recovery now. And so, so I've, I've been sober for a little over 13 months. And one of the spiritual axioms in the 12 steps is that, that, that when someone else makes me mad and resentful, it usually is about something in me, not them. Because human beings are going to be crappy to each other. That's part of being a human being. We don't always get it right. And it's not to excuse somebody for being crappy, but it's to say, where do I start from in addressing it? Is it always about what you do to me? Or is it maybe like, what is this person touching on in my soul that's making me feel this way? Why do do they have such power over me? Why are they living rent-free in my head? You know, Um, and, and usually it has to do with, well, you know, they remind me of how much I'm afraid of I'm not going to be liked or I'm a perfectionist or I'm fill in the blank of whatever little thing we secretly have inside of us. So I love that as well. What you said of, you know, at that harder question, why, you know, that discernment town hall meeting, so-and-so made me so mad. Well, why, what, what did they say that really touched on you? And, and you say, well, I love my church. Why? You know, and then when you start peeling back those layers, it gets into usually things around fear and insecurity in us. And it's not that you get rid of it, but once we sort of name it, it doesn't have quite the power. Yes, definitely. I totally agree. And and I think in that situation you just shared, shared another part of encouragement to pastors is letting go of things. Yes. So, right. So maybe... So yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we're passionate and we love the work we do and we love what we feel like God is doing in the world, but someone else might disagree. And so battling over it gets us nowhere. So letting someone be who they are mm. and letting them go. And then you're doing what you feel like God's doing, trusting that God's with that person, you know, and, and separating yourself from it. Cause if you take on all these connections, especially to toxic people, you're going to get into a really bad place. I, I always, what you just sparked, the name that came into my head is Edwin Freeman and Friedman and his, his, his notion of self-differentiation. Where do I end and you begin? Mm-hmm. Because what I don't realize is just how enmeshed I am, especially to people I love. I love you. So the, your mood is going to always affect my mood. And at some level, we have to kind of break and untangle, like you said, those enmeshments to say, look, you can feel like utter shit. And I'm sorry, but it's not going to have the power over me that, that, that you may want it to or vice versa. You know, we, we got to deal with our own stuff. Where do you end and where do I begin? Man, what a hard lesson that is to learn. I'm always having to learn it. 
gosh, yes, that's yeah. daily life. Um, what any final? I, this is so good, Whitney. We could just go on forever. Any final words, especially to pastors and lay people? It's a stressful time in the life of the church. You know, what encouragement would you give, sort of, to face these days ahead? God is always near. So even if it feels like, where is God in this confusion? Asking God, where are you working? And how can I find joy in the moment that I'm in? Because God has always got something for us. Mm. And the importance of what you said about taking those breaks, like enjoy your family, go on a vacation. If you need one, take that break because, because you need it. You need it. You need to be close to God because we can actually you can probably um, understand that sometimes we can get so wrapped up into theology or so wrapped up into the drama of church. We actually miss God. Mm -hmm. Right. And so coming back to your own relationship with God, you're not identified by who you are as a pastor. You're identified by who you are in Christ. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's so good. Whitney, thank you so much for this conversation, for all the work you do in our community and in your church. And uh, I hope this is a helpful conversation. We're, we're going to have you on again uh, in the near future to talk about other mental and emotional health issues. But for anybody listening, um, pastor, lay people, um, everything in between, that, that, that this is a stressful time. I hope this is a helpful episode, something you can share. It doesn't really take sides, um, but we the only side that we want to take is that we love and care for each other um, as, as God calls us to. So thank you for helping us sort of see that path to care for each other well. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Always a joy to talk to you. All right. We'll see you next time on another episode of the Faith Revisited podcast.